And welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens, our last show of 2023 and the end of year nine for BTL. And of course, we have started a tradition after last year, but the immortal, the wonderful, Frank Meyer is here again. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I'm acting as if there's a studio audience, so I'm going to sort of address the studio audience. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. You up there in the back? Love you. (laughs) Big fan. (laughs) Thanks, C. Oh, God. God, Seriously. You know what? You should give yourselves an applause because you're a great audience. (laughs) And the tone has been set, people. It is a freewheeling show today. I didn't say it was free. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're getting jerky. Okay, that's true. Yeah, we're getting paid in beef jerky. By the way, I'd like to say this is the first time in my career that I've been paid in cured meat, but it's not. <laughs> oh, Throughout what? my career, I've been offered things like, well, we don't have any money to pay your band, but how would you guys like beer and hot dogs? Which is kind of, you know, sort of in the same wheelhouse. Craft service. Yeah, Craft so. service is good. I'm cheap. I'll play for anything. You give me a little, little something in my tummy or a couple of cocktails, I'm ready to go. I know. I know. I mean, don't tell show business that. I'm just between you and I. Yes, we don't tell show business anything like that. But yes, we have, thanks to our good buddy, Marcus Tiggs, and LTC All Natural Beef Jerky, which is available at Mom's Bar on Santa Monica Boulevard. Yes, sir. Um, Yes, ma'am. Get that beef jerky. I, I call Marcus sir because he's a military man. Yes, he is. And so I treat him with respect. But I'd like to point out that I knew him for at least six months before, before you... I knew he was in the military. And I, I'm sure I did not treat him with respect during that time. But then once I learned, I switched to sir and I addressed him with the utmost respect. You know, I've <laughs> known Marcus for about 30 years. Really? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Well, you got some stories then. I got stories. Interesting. I have lots of stories. I'd like to. I'd like to find out some of those stories. But there's uh, a reason that people. So I can trade them for more cured meat. There are people that you know. There's a reason that I've known them for thirty years because I keep their stories. Ah, interesting. I wait till people are dead. Hmm. But well, that sounded cryptic when you put it like that. <laughs> I, as, I, I, I amass this information, and then I wait for people to die so that I control no. the information. No. Uh, uh-huh. No. I mean, this year he's- That sounded super villainy. No, it's not. <laughs> it, actually, it's not villainy. It's um, not villainy. Because there are many, many people, one of whom your publicist, um, Karen Oberman. Sure, sure. Karen has even said, she goes, God, she goes, if you ever wrote a book, she goes, it would be- so incredible. She goes, but I also know you will never do that because you respect the talent and the people that you know and you've built friendships sure. friendships with yeah. in the in the business. You can't you can't go uh no. digging all the dirt on especially your colleagues and your I mean I understand it when people I mean I I'm not saying it's okay, but I understand it when it's like you know, someone's writing their tell-all book, especially if maybe they're looking for a boost in their career, and they're like, okay, finally, I'm going to go tell my old war stories. Like, I kind of get that context, but I feel like people have said that to me, too, where they're like, oh, man, you you know, you've got so many great stories. You should write a book. And I'm like, well, first off, I've written a bunch of books, but about yes. other subjects, right. not myself. Um, and I feel like as an artist, I'm putting it out there in the music. So for me to write, like, a book, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, A... I'm not going to dish a bunch of dirt, in which right. case 
there's half the fun of reading a book, you know, that kind of book. And also, the reality is no one wants to hear a tell-all book from someone that's not famous. You know what I mean? And I've got, don't get me wrong, I've been, you know, I'm a musician, I'm a director, but like the reality is when people buy those celebrity books, it's from like iconic people. Like, yeah. oh my God, my favorite TV star is finally going to, you know, and tell me all that stuff. And my if fav- they're buying them, not from the, from the famous people that wrote them, they're buying them for wanting salacious Right, exactly. Tales. And which, again, I go like, hey, if you're if you're Steven Tyler and you're finally going to like write your tell-all book, like, yeah, of course, people want salacious tales and you've got them and you've just got to walk that line of how much you're going to tell versus keep your mouth shut. But I feel like if you're not, if you're just like musician Frank Meyer, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like as soon as I start dishing dirt like that, it becomes like, oh, this guy's desperate. He's just throwing people under the bus to get his, you know what I mean? Like, it feels like that's not an authentic thing because why would you sort of make that move unless A, you're desperate, or B, you're in the position of like a giant rock star, like a Tommy Lee to be like, hey man, People have been wanting to hear these stories for years. You know what I mean? Like, that I kind of get. Like, we want to yeah. hear dick stories from Tommy Lee. Yeah, and it's like... But not from Frank Meyer. No, and there are so <laughs> many stories that I know and experiences I've had with, a, you know, many A-listers over the decades, going back to my childhood. Sure. To even when I was four or five years old. And, uh, you know, they're not, they're not for sale. They're not for public consumption. Right. You know, they're mine. Well, it's like, you know, people these days go to events and rather than enjoying and taking in the event, they hold up their phone and film the event and sort of put that artificial lens between yep. their their brain and their experience and their eyeballs and what they're seeing. And now they're seeing this big thing in front of them, this real life thing through this tiny lens that they're used to looking at everything. And in a way, that's where I kind of go like, like, I don't like going to a concert and filming it because, like, no. m- that's my memory, the way that my brain and the experience I have, that's the memory and yeah. that's mine. This idea that, like, oh, I'm going to film it and then, like, wouldn't it be cool to show it? No one wants to see your stupid phone well, video of a concert. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 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 keep that to yourself and enjoy the experience. You bring up a very, very good point here because just this morning, Brian May. Mm-hmm. Of Queen. Uh, legendary Brian May, Dr. Brian May, Mm -hmm. has posted because people have been filming at the concerts on their tour. Mm -hmm. And they've been posting snippets of video and all. Sony Music Licensing has asserted copyright infringement against all of these people. Oh, the fan videos. The fan videos and want them all taken down. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, this is just it. Brian is like, he said, you know, point blank, I have taken down all that I have posted. Because when he gets videos, like when he sees them, he reposts them for the fans. Right, sure. And he's lovely about that. But he said, I have my team looking into this now. I'm very disappointed by this. So, oh, meaning the label did it without asking his permission, and now he's kind of telling the fans, like, hey, it's ain't me trying to, like, take down yeah. your video. No, again. they're going after. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything. By the way, when I, like, I'm not someone, you know, we all take selfies and we all, you know, document our life through social media. That's just the way life is. But um, I'm just saying, like, I personally am not someone that sits there and films a concert or a play or something. I'd rather yeah. just enjoy the experience. That being said, 
I think everyone should have the right to do that, and especially when you're filming from a fan point of view. Like, yeah, okay, you're posting a video of Queen doing We Will Rock You, and that's a copywritten song. On the other hand, the whole reason why those things are copywritten is to protect the artist and protect the... Who's playing someone's terrible-sounding, you know, crappy iPhone version with static and distortion and the person next to them yelling and eating? Like, it's fine. Post that. No one cares about the audio infringement copyrights. I am a songwriter, and I can tell you there's a million videos people have taken of me and my bands playing, and, like, that's not copyright infringement. That's what you you want fans to be so enthusiastic. If you take away the fan's ability to react naturally to your music enjoy it the way they want, obviously without hurting anyone or breaking Mm -hmm. laws, but like you're literally telling, now you're telling people how they're allowed to enjoy your art. And after they paid the ticket price. So you're charging Uh. them, you're charging them (laughs) to walk in the door, you're charging them for the music, you're making money on the back end of that through your publishing already and licensing all these other ways that those songs make money. And now after you've charged them, well maybe now they're announcing it so you know before, they're telling you how you're allowed to listen to the music and how you're allowed to distribute your memories of the music. And someone could go, yeah, it's content. Yeah, it's content. It's that person's content. That's not Queen's content. And you know what? And if you, Queen, want to, or the record label wants to protect Queen in that live circumstance, don't put them on tour. Don't go, do pay-per-views. You know what I mean? Because the idea, or do internet concerts, which of course will be pirated as well. But the reality is like, once someone shows up, they're allowed to enjoy your concert and your music the way they want. They want to hold their phone up, don't take away their phone. I get it if Dave Chappelle's doing like a secret set. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you'll hear like, oh, someone, they take your phone for an hour because you're going to see something before it's really, I get that. But to just be like, you're not allowed to film at our arena show, a stadium show, and they're going to try to control that, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And Shame the, on you. And the, the other issue is Not also... Not Brian May, the label. The label. Sony Music. Sony. Um, but, you know, the other thing is nobody's... there. These are, what, 60-second Yeah, clips. at the best. I mean, sometimes it's 30 five seconds, seconds, 10 it, seconds. It, I mean, yes, there are people that go and, and film entire concerts and put those up. And I suppose, you know, that would be the... That, to me, is the best kind of strongest argument of like, hey, we get it, you're a fan, but if you're just sitting in the back getting a wide shot, putting the entire concert up, then someone, and especially if it is decent quality, you know, you could make the argument like, hey, that's that's sort of, um, you know, what if we want to put up a concert video? We want that wide angle and stuff, and now someone's got yours. I kind of get that argument. I wouldn't make it, but I kind of get it. but on the other hand, again, I go like, but that's that guy's way. He likes to go to concerts. He likes to film it. He goes back. He watches it. No one, you know, it, the the amount of money someone might make from a pirated version is, is so minuscule yeah. to the money that um, the label's making. And also keep in mind, the label's already going into this conversation, ripping off the artist gigantically on the streaming rights anyway. So now they're telling you we're taking all the money for the streaming, all of it. Like, maybe Brian May gets a fraction, but I can tell you the rest of us get nothing. You know, we're taking all the money, and now we've decided there's a revenue stream we didn't even think of. The fans' personal content home videos. Why can't we take those, monetize those, or forbid them to do it? That is the most insane Money grabbing, yeah, it's ridiculous. But it goes, it it absolutely exemplifies 
the music and the music industry and the streaming industry and the whole reason why we've had these strikes. Well, and you know, if they want to have a chokehold on it and they want to control it, you do what used to be done back in the the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, pre smartphones. Pre, yeah, yeah, pre no cameras. You could not bring cameras in. I can't tell well, you the, how the many. The problem with that, though, is you get in the conversation of like, but that's also like, let's say someone's like, yeah, but I I need my kids to reach me because I'm out tonight and that's my phone. Well, see, but, you know, there again, your kid should have a babysitter if you're that worried well, about your kid. No, 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 no doubt. I'm just saying like, <laughs> meaning because the camera and the phone which are is, linked. And let, for instance, let's say there's a fire in the arena and like everyone needs to, you know, call and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I understand I understand why they take your phone away for certain select events, like yeah. what we're talking about, like sort of like, hey, you want to see someone do their warm up show before their paper, before their Netflix special, something like that. I get that. Or if you know, I went, I one time saw Van Halen with David Lee Roth do a rehearsal at the Forum, and they only let two hundred people in, and I don't think they took. I think they, they either took our phones. Or they had us put them in bags and put them, you know, like like maybe we still had them, but it was definitely mm-hmm. like if you pulled out your phone, it was small enough, everyone would see and they'd throw you out. And like no one wanted to get thrown out of this, so no one took yeah. pictures that I'm aware of. Um, I get that. But like Queen's an arena band. Yeah. It's, like, it's like telling people you can't uh, whip out your phone at the, at the football game. I mean, literally, it's the equivalent. Cause, it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so now if we go down that path, does the NFL say, oh, good idea. Now, you know, come to our stadium and we're taking everyone's phone or we've got security busting people or we're going to, like, <clears throat> you know, build an algorithm and go catch you when you put it on YouTube, all of which is a gigantic money-grubbing waste of time. Yeah. And an impingement on, I hate to say it, our freedom. Yeah. Hey, you know. Is impingement a word? Did I just make up the word? Infringement is what I meant to say, but I'll go with impingement. But you can impinge, but, you know, (laughs) but yes, infringement. But, you know, where is Brandon? Where is Brandon Leopoldus when we need him to enter into this legal discussion? I don't know. Uh, Brandon's probably doing, you know, Mr. Sports and Entertainment lawyer, my lawyer. Um, Brandon is very, very good. Um, but yeah, this is the kind of conversation that he likes to get into. It's, uh, it's politics, you know, (laughs) it's politics, our version of politics. Yes. It's the showbiz version of politics. But you know, we must, you have not even taken your, your all natural beef jerky here. I I will take my all natural beef jerky. I'm not uh, this time. Unlike the last time when I immediately ate it on air, I'm going to be singing. So I'm going to wait till after, uh, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to eat Cured peppered meats right before you're going to try to, you know, hit a high A. Really? Yeah. That's what I've learned. Uh, I've learned throughout my career, not so much in this setting acoustically, but if I am doing an electric set, especially if I'm doing, you know, a set with the Street Walking Cheetahs or Trading Aces, mm-hmm. you know, my, my rock bands where we play longer sets and uh, lots of high energy, I can eat for about five hours before I play. And if I do, I'll vomit it up on stage. And that's happened so many times <laughs> that in the street walking cheetahs, they don't even bat and like they just roll their eyes like, really? Again? Like it's not, it, it's literally become part of the act. Don't get me wrong, it's a reluctant, I never want it to be part of the act. I've, I go way out of my way to time this whole thing so it's not part of the act. <laughs> 
On the other hand, it's a punk rock band, so if you're going to throw up, you got to oh make a God. show out of it and make it part of the act. And so I've had to do that enough times that, like, it's a thing. There is no vomiting allowed on BTL. Well, no, no, no there wouldn't be because it's acoustic and I'm, and I'm not eating the beef jerky. Although, again, not because it's not delicious. I want to eat it. I'll eat it as soon as I'm uh, done. But I also have respect for your stage and... Do you want to hear a funny story of, about vomiting on stage? Of course we okay. do. This is, I mean, I've actually, believe it or not, I have a few. Um, Why does that not surprise But me? this one was funny uh, and not just sad. Um, we were playing the Viper Room. Streetwalk and Jade is playing the Viper Room. And uh, it's a, and Viper Room is a nice club. It gets it kind is, of a yeah. dive bar-like <clears throat> vibe. but or It gets the reputation of being a dive bar, but it's really not. It's a nice club. <clears throat> and so uh, we're playing, and... Well, before we played, I hadn't eaten all day, and which, like I said, is generally a good thing. But this was like I hadn't eaten since noon, and it's ten o'clock, and I'm really hungry. But at this point, once I hit past five p.m., I can't eat. So now it's like nine, nine thirty. We're edging towards us playing. I'm like, oh my god, I'm like about to pass out. I'm so hungry and about to go do a really physical show. I got to do something. So at the Viper Room, they have you wait out on sunset, essentially, with your gear so they can open that side door You, mm-hmm. you, you know, right before you go in, you, you pile in. There's a liquor store there, and I decide I'm just going to get some Gatorade because, you know, just a little shot of electrolytes, a little sugar. There's nothing in there that's going to be dangerous. It's not any actual food, you know, so that'd be fine, right? No, it wasn't. Uh, I slugged down the whole green Gatorade fast, <laughs> and then they're like, you're on. The door goes open, we load up our stuff, and the whole set went fine until the last song, which I, you know, part of our gig is I get real physical, I jump in the audience. So I jump in the audience, and I start running around with my guitar, and all of a sudden I realize, like, now, like, uh-oh, it's coming up. And so I decide to dart back on stage, and kind of as I'm going up the steps, I just sort of quickly threw up kind of in the shadows of the side of the steps. And I'm pretty sure no one even noticed it. Like, it was just like, boom, I'm running up there. And so now I'm back up on stage. I've gotten it out of my system. I've thrown up in a fairly subtle manner, and I don't even know that anyone caught it. Certainly my band was unaware. I get back on the mic, back, you know, under the spotlight, and I realize I'm not done. And so I turn to the guitar player, who does not sing lead vocals in this band, and I go, you got to sing for a minute. And he goes like, what? And I just turn around, and I can't go back off the stage. So now I'm just kind of thinking, and, and honestly, like when I, if I was in my 20s, I would have just vomited straight up in front of the crowd. But that's somewhat charming in a punk rock way when you're in your 20s. I'm 52 years old. If I throw up, people are going to call an ambulance. They're going to be like, oh, my God, this guy's got, like, a, a problem. He's got food poisoning. Or so I, I can't, at this point, I'm trying to figure out basically how to hide this moment, right? So I turn around, and I figure I'll just kind of throw up somewhere, like, in a corner behind, you know, between the amps or something. But now I notice that on the amplifiers, there's signs that say, like, laminated signs that say, do not put any drinks on top of these amps. And then I look down at the monitors, and there's a laminated sign that says, do not put feet on monitors. And then I look down at the ground, and there's a laminated sign that says, like, do not put cigarettes or any food or trash on the carpet. Because it's got, like, this real thin, tight carpet. And, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, w- there's literally signs telling me everywhere not to do anything. And then I look, and the monitor guy is just sitting on the stage. Like, he's, he's seen everything. And he's looking at me like... Do not throw up on my stage, bro, or you're not coming back here. So now I'm like, fuck, what can I do? 
So I turned my back to the audience, and I don't know why, but I locked eyes with our drummer. And we never look at each other on stage. But I, he's like drumming away, and he kind of looks like, ooh, what's going on? And I just look him dead in the eye, and I mouth, I'm so sorry. And he's like, what? And I opened the front of my shirt, and I just went down and threw up down my own shirt on top of my chest. Now, it was not like chunky. It was all Gatorade, so it was, but it was green and warm and steaming. And, and so my, my shirt's open. I've all down my chest. Again, it didn't look like vomit. It just, you know, I'm now all of a sudden I'm glowing and steaming. And so the whole Gatorade came out and my, you know, down my pants, everything. And now it's out of my system. So I turn around, I finish the song and I keep singing and, uh, and everything is great. And I don't even know that most of the audience caught it. But when we got off stage, two interesting things happened. First off, my drummer says to me, he goes, listen, man, I saw you drink the Gatorade. I know your history. But why did you lock eyes with me? And I go, I don't know, man. He goes, it felt like a rape or something. You know, it was like, it was so brutal. I go, I don't know, man. It just somehow got me through that moment. And then the other funny thing is I'm kind of like, all right, you know, shoot, uh, Cherie Curry from the the Runaways we were playing with. I'm like, Cherie's on in a minute. Uh, I got to hang out. I'm going to change into my street clothes. And I realize I forgot my street clothes. And so now the whole rest of the night, I'm in my Gatorade vomit outfit for like three more hours. (laughs) It was terrible. And see, this is why you listen (laughs) to Behind the Lens. This is it. Merry Christmas, by the way. This is a Christmas show, right? I thought that'd be a good story to really. It's a holiday situation, you know? Now, you know, speaking of Christmas shows, did you notice the archival material that I brought in? I like those singles, yeah. Yes, but vinyl. But you don't know what they are. I don't. I mean, I can see the the uh, the artwork from here, but Whoops. my incredible eyesight tells me a Merry Christmas and best wishes for the new year from Dick Clark. Oh, this is a Dick Clark. Ooh, and a red red vinyl for back in this day was kind of rare too. Like they didn't really do a lot of colored vinyl until like the you know seventies. All of these. This is happening. Are from. The personal Elias Archive collection. Dick, wow. Dick, oh, these are both? This is Dick Clark, too? All with, of them. And with uh, a picture of his family. Yes, that was his wife, his son, Richard Jr., Dickie. His very reluctant-looking son, Richard. He's like, yes. Dad. But all of these. Wow. Um, he would. What he would do is he would record them and give them to the guys that worked at the, st- at the TV station at WFIL which is where Tubby worked mm-hmm. for 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And my dad, you know, pack rat that he could, that he is, he would keep them all. And, of course. That's cool. You know, and they're numbered. Oh, wow. They are. This one says number one. Yeah. Holy mackerel. So... I don't think any of these exist anywhere in the world any longer, but for these. Wow, this is cool. But all of them, you know, we go through. Well, vinyl is back. We go through people different love lives. The, people love the vinyl. I'll tell you this. When I go on tour, uh, vinyl outsells everything at the merch booth everywhere. Yep. It sells better than CDs. It sells, it's like vinyl and then T-shirts and then hats. Yeah. And then see this is a no, this is a second. This That's is a cool. number two. Nice. Yeah. 
So I thought, oh, it's the Christmas show. That's cool. Yeah. But he always did up, you know, fancy covers with signatures. And one of them is actually. I do that for, I do that for my crew and friends. I make a personalized vinyl uh, seven. Yeah. I've been doing it for years. You know, inspired by Dick. Yes, but yeah. No. Actually, I think these are acetate, not vinyl. Really? Yeah. These are acetate, not vinyl. But I have a, a single by a comedian named Neil Hamburger, and it's a tribute to Princess Diana. And the, so, the side A is um, a moment of silence for Princess Diana, and it's just a blank side. Oh, wow. It's great. I mean, it's a very that's sad, that's it's a, like an Andy Kaufman style joke. Like I'm gonna release a, a a a single with no music on it, but I dug it. Oh my god! Right. One of my favorites. I want you. Know, it's very fun having Frank here in the studio today because I don't have to worry about talking into two microphones because of all the phone issues we've had for the past month. Of course, now we apparently have phone lines back. Oh, what I could have called in. <laughs> Yes, Frank, you could have called in. Well, you know what? I was in Whittier anyway. (laughs) But, yes, we now have, uh, but we don't have the special 1-800 phone Mm, number. mm, mm. So, so wait, what you're saying is is, uh, all my fans have no way to call in right now and 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 treasure this moment and share it with us. Um well, let's see. I don't know the number offhand. Oh, no, no, no. D- don't worry. It's fine. I <laughs> I can look because Nick sent it to me. Uh <laughs> But yes, it'll be nice when we get the 1-800-405 Nick. There you go. That's what that's what the number is. 1-800 is that, that really is the number? 1-800-405-6425 Nick. Yeah. That is one letter away from being a porno number. Don't even go there. <laughs> Don't even go there. But yeah, that's been that's been Nick's number for the station for the on-air lines for years. Wow. For years. Man, I want my, now I want like 1-800-Frank. Or you know 1-800-55-Frank. I should get that line line happening. You should do that. Hey, welcome to Frankly Speaking. You can call up uh, 1-800-55-Frank. And we'll uh, be back with another episode of Being Frank. Oh, my God. And, of course, I also, in honor of the 35th anniversary of Die Hard, I brought in my 25th anniversary collection of Die Hard because Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Absolutely. It's, and, and not just because it takes place during Christmas, uh, but also Christmas works its way into the plot there are action sequences involving Christmas trees. And my shirt was clean. There you go. For those of you on Facebook that saw my crisis post the other day, I thought I was having a crisis that I might actually have to do laundry because I could not find my Hans Gruber falling from Nakatomi Plaza shirt. And lo and behold, crisis averted. I found it. It was under my Kylo Ren shirt. Always. Everything's always... Kylo Ren, always hiding something. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Secrets, but, shirts. But the crisis would have been if I had to do laundry. Right. Why is that a crisis? You don't like doing laundry? I mean, not like anyone likes doing laundry. If I but... had a washer and dryer in oh, my, gotcha, in my gotcha, unit, right, in my condo right. unit, that would be one thing. Right. Otherwise, I have to use w- the washers and dryers in one of the laundry rooms within the complex. Right. And that's fine, except every time I go over there, they're in use. Yeah. yeah 
that's, which that's, is why sometimes it takes six months before I do laundry again. There you go. Okay. Now I get it. Now you get it. I get it. And I've had that situation. I lived in an apartment where we had like a common laundry room. And- yeah. I mean, I would love to be able to in, have a washer dryer installed in my unit, but my configuration in my unit, and this is something that other homeowners in the complex, they don't seem to understand sometimes when you tell them, no, you can't do it, because you have to tie the washer into existing lines in the bathroom. You've got to tie the drain into existing lines in the bathroom. Right. You can't tie it in in the kitchen. Right. You got to do it in the bathroom. And some of the configurations, there's nowhere to put the washer <laughs> and dryer, and the dryer's got to be ventless. Um, so it's, and that's another reason why I'm not always fond of my condo complex. Not always. <laughs> Funny, 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 especially as chair of the architecture committee. I know. But, you know, it's Christmas, so we should get Christmassy here. We should be in a Christmas mood. How can we be in a Christmas mood, Frank? Well, um, I mean, there's there we could have a reindeer uh, brought over to the studio. Certainly, Uh, there's um, chestnuts. If we could find an open fire, we could roast them. you know, uh, take over a building or save a building from being taken over by terrorists. Uh, that That's always a, a surefire way to celebrate Christmas. Uh, or I've got a guitar here and I could sing some songs. I mean, what, what have you. Uh. Well, I think that <laughs> is the perfect thing to do. I mean, it's, it's not like Bruce Willis level entertaining, but... It's pretty entertaining. Oh, no, trust me, Frank. You you are very entertaining. <laughs> I usually hear people say that, but I always think, I, I go, you're being sarcastic. No, I'm serious. You are entertaining. I'm not saying how, but you are entertaining. <laughs> I'm not saying whether we're laughing with you or at you, but hey. Uh, so I'm going to just give a little sound check here. Just uh... Hello. That work? All right, good. See, you know, you've you, see, you have a professional operation here. I've I, I've done a lot of podcasts, not always so professional. You know, except when the phone system doesn't work. Well, but that's not on you. That's no. not your fault. And that has been resolved. We'll find out. Right. So, uh, believe it or not, even though my career is uh, kind of based in hard rock and heavy metal and punk rock, I've written a fair share of Christmas songs over the years. Because uh, some of my bands have done, you know, been on holiday records or done holiday singles and stuff. And so this one I'll play you is the one that I played on the show uh, a year ago. It's called Christmas Time Again. And originally it was done as a duet between me and a phenomenal vocal- vocalist named Lisa Kekalawa, or Kekalua, uh, who is in a band called The Bell Rays. And she and I sang this together as a duet, and it's like a fun little country song. I'm just going to do it on my own here because I don't have the fabulous Lisa here next to me. But uh, check out The Bell Rays, incredible band. Just trying to make amends 
a crazy kind of season Just to let it all hang out Oh yeah When I've gathered up my worries It's time to set them down Set them down So lay down your sorrows Put on your Sunday gown Oh yeah And it's Christmas time again I can feel it all around Whoa, it's Christmas time again Got my family in the den Getting liquored up again It's a lazy kind of feeling Just to have them around Oh, well I wrap them all up in my arms And I lay my love down Lay down So lay down your weary head Put on your Sunday gown oh, And it's Christmas time again I can feel it all around Whoa, it's Christmas time again Hanging with my friends Trying to soak it in It's an easy kind of feeling Oh, just to hang around Well, I've gathered up my promises And it's time to set them down Set them down So lay down your emptiness Put on your Sunday gown And it's Christmas time again And I can feel it all around And it's Christmas time again And I can feel it all around And it's Christmas time again And I can feel it all around Cha-cha-cha Your public loves you It's a great audience You've assembled a great audience here There's no doubt about it You know, I try, Frank I try I try to be a comedy. I love that song. It's a fun song. I usually, especially back then, I didn't write a lot of uh, happy songs. I didn't write a lot of nice songs. Not that I wasn't a happy person. It's just that the the band, the context, it was very sort of aggressive, punk rocky kind of rock and roll. And so uh, I didn't write a lot of happy songs back then. I do now. Um, but this was one where I was like, well, it's a Christmas song. On the other hand, if you want, I have another Christmas song that is not so happy and is much more accustomed to what you would think my, my uh, normal punk rock approach to a Christmas song might be. Well, I, I think we have to hear it. So this song is called I Want to Die for Christmas. And the idea oh. was, you know, hey, kid, what do you want for Christmas? Well, around the time I wrote this song, I wasn't feeling so good about myself. So, uh, and it's very tongue-in-cheek, as you'll see. It's, it's by no and, means a, a hardcore sentiment. And but. this will serve as a perfect lead-in to talking, uh, to talking about some of our favorite Christmas horror movies. Perfect. Oh. I like that. Oh. Here we go. So this song's called I Want to Die for Christmas. This one is not a country song, nor was written to be played acoustically, but we're just going to make it happen. Okay. I want a shotgun. I want a G.I. Joe. I want a time bomb. 
I wanna get real low I wanna live my life like a suicide I wanna burn tonight like a human fire I wanna set this whole damn town alight Wanna burn this city down tonight I wanna I wanna die I wanna die I wanna die for I wanna die for Christmas All right It's just a happy little ditty, you know? (laughs) I want a woman. I want a GTO. I want to drive real fast. I want to let it go. I want to live my life like there's no tomorrow. Beg and steal and lie and borrow. Take everything that I used to hate. And serve it up, baby, on a silver plate I wanna... I wanna die I wanna die I wanna die for... I wanna die for Christmas Oh yeah For Christmas mm-hmm. I wanna destroy Everything I own I want a decoy And a perfect clone I want a stone-cold witness for every crime I want a suspect motive and an alibi I want a whole new face, identity I want to change my name and a fake ID I want to... I want to die I want to die Another Christmas ditty. <laughs> it's a Christmas classic, really. Uh, now, you know, that is going to stick in my head for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's a catchy tune. You know, they, they say, you know, it's all about the hook. And yeah. my take is every good song, regardless of genre, needs a good hook. And I think that even you could look at some of the most extreme music like Slayer and Voivod. They write great hooks. They write hooks for a different audience. Their right. hooks might be, you know, uh, I leave a Bible in a pool of blood so there's none of his lies can affect me. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, but that's a hook. I leave the Bible in a pool of blood so that none of its lies can affect me. And then, boom, back into the. That's a hit song. I mean, that's a great hook. It's now it's a hook for a certain audience. A certain, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because if not, people get re- that, that's that, that's not the right hook for all audiences. Yeah. But it's a hook. Yeah. Carrie King knows how to write a hook. Wow. Wow. But see, it's because, you know, you know, this is one of the great things about music and film is that you have a holiday like Christmas, Mm -hmm. Hanukkah, Christmas. Come on. If Adam Sandler can make a Hanukkah song. Right. And a Hanukkah movie. I mean, uh, you know, honestly, 
all all holidays are easy to write songs about yeah. because they all have hallmark things that everyone knows about. So you know, Halloween, masks, jack-o'-lanterns, ghosts, you know, Valentine's. Yeah, Valentine's Day, hearts and love and Cupid. So it's like, I mean, the reality is any songwriter should kind of be able to write a song about anything. That's kind of like what we do, you know? So like if you can't be... I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't want to write a song about everything, but if someone were to give me a songwriting challenge and say, write a song about hammering a nail or write a song about you folding could. napkins, yeah, I could do it. It's literally what I do for a living. It may not be the most interesting song, but part of my job would be to make it clever and put it in my voice. Um, so when you get to, like, so, so meaning writing an Easter song or a Christmas song, that's like a softball. Because yeah. we already, because everyone's going to know what the references are, so it's easy. You just yeah. got to have and a couple of And it's like rhymes. making a movie. Right. Th- which is why Hallmark is so successful with their Christmas movies. Yep. And now Great American Family Network, who they've licensed a lot of Hallmark movies to populate their lineup while they're making their own stuff. Right. So it's really interesting. But by the same token, we can have all that feel-good stuff, but we can have something like I want to die for Christmas. Sure, because, you know, you got to have, there's no reason that you can't have a heavy metal Christmas song or a punk rock Christmas song or whatever. I mean, it's art. The whole idea is that you're supposed to kind of be able to do whatever you want. So I can write a nice one or a mean one. You know, just like we can have Nightmare on 34th Street or The Killing Tree. Nightmare on 34th Street or Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) <laughs> well, for Christmas, you know. You know, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but I, there has to be a Nightmare on Elm Street movie with where there's Christmas involved. I can't think of it, but, like, they've made so many so of those many movies. Of like, one of them has to be taking place in December. I don't know. Someone will tell us later. Like, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 8, uh, Freddy's Reckoning, that is the one. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah. But you know how much I, I love The Killing Tree. Last year, that's not you're not talking about the Shel Silverstein book. Oh no, that's the Giving Tree. That's the Giving Tree. <laughs> to- I'm, totally different. I'm talking about the British horror film, right. The Killing Tree. That and I think you watched it. Uh, I have not seen The Killing Tree. No, oh, my. no, you sent it to me, but you sent it to me during the middle of the holidays, and oh. I, you know it's, it's tough. And the like well, right now is not a time I'm watching it. There's although you know, and also my wife doesn't like uh, horror movies as much as I do, but she has asked me if we. She's like, this week we should watch a bunch of Christmas movies. Maybe I could just slip that one in. I think you should, <laughs> but you know, you should also be slipping in there, Die Hard. Yeah. Which is uh, back in theaters right now. Yeah. Oh, that would be a fun one to go see. And the if theaters. you, ha- and I have to tell you, because there's a, another whole generation, I mean, the 35th anniversary of the original Die Hard. And we've got another whole generation, generation and a half, never got to experience that film on the big screen. God. And it is so good on the big screen. If you want to go to the theater and you don't want to see. Uh, something like The Boys in the Boat, which is a very good movie, is coming out the end, this weekend. Ferrari is coming out this weekend. Both of them are. Ferrari is not going to be for everyone. I'm telling you that right now. It's more of a character study about the man versus tons and tons and tons and tons of racing. Although there is lots of racing, and it's set back in 1957. And Eric Smith, who I love as a cinematographer, Eric does an incredible job. Adam Driver is award worthy. Love as... that Adam Driver. Look at that military man. You know he's another uh, former much, Marine, much like our buddy Marcus. Uh, he is a yeah. He is a another military. And look at man. that. 
the shirt that was hiding, my Hans Gruber shirt, was my Kylo Ren shirt. We all brought it back. We brought it back to Adam Driver. Oh, my. Interesting. You know, you just made me realize as we're talking about Die Hard that you know they're going to you know they're going to try to make a dumb Die Hard reboot at some point. I don't think so. You don't think so? Because, I, I mean, they so. do it with everything. You don't think there's going to be a Ryan Reynolds really crappy Die no, Hard coming around I, the corner? I honestly don't think so. I hope they don't because that. You know, there's some movies that just are great and don't need to be remade, yeah. and, and then also are beloved and therefore get shown over and over again. Yeah. Like, no, we all see Die Hard. No one, like my daughter knows Die Hard. We don't need a remake. The classic is great. The classic. It's a, there's a reason it's a classic. And, and unlike some movies that don't age, like some classics can be classics, but maybe don't quite age as well. But like Die Hard ages perfectly. It's it's a great movie yeah. in that. It's, it's timeless. Not, it's not. It's also not. De- yeah, it's not dependent on being like in the '90s or not the '90s. You know, back then, like there's a lot of movies you watch now, and you go, you know, if we had a, if this person had a cell phone, this movie wouldn't exist. But even in that movie, the way they take everyone's phones right at the beginning, so like, you know what I mean? Like all the technology stuff, the computers. Like you can't. There's no argument in that movie where you could go, well, you know, it's kind of bullshit. No, that no. movie totally works, and it's hilarious, yep. and it's uh, killer action. And obviously the Christmas spirit is throughout. Oh, yeah. From beginning to end. Yeah. I mean, that movie is dependent upon Christmas. Yeah. Um, That's the only reason for John McClane to be in the Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, another movie that people don't always consider a Christmas movie, but I think it is, is Lethal Weapon. Absolutely. You know, another movie uh, that... Don't, that people don't know about for the most part, but I call a Christmas movie is my favorite B movie, Trancers, starring the great Tim Thomerson and Helen Hunt, um, my imaginary wife Helen Hunt. By the uh-huh. way. Um, but yeah, that's another movie that it's a, about a time traveling cop, you know, on the hunt for a killer. But it's all happening during Christmas, and there's tons. He even at one point. Uh, Santa or a guy dressed as Santa in the mall becomes a trancer and becomes like a crazy zombie Santa at one point. And if that doesn't define a Christmas movie, I like don't know what an undead uh, zombie trancer. I don't know that's, what that's a that's Christmas. But <laughs> another movie most people don't think of as a Christmas movie, but it is Trading Places. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure it is. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah. I mean you're right. And also and and. Christmas plays in the holidays actually play into the plot of that movie, which to me doubly makes it because a lot of times people say a movie is a Christmas movie just because it takes place during Christmas. No, no, I no. mean, I'll, I'll go with you like, OK, that counts. But like, really, it, it's got to be a movie that ties Christmas in somehow to the plot, like a planes, trains and automobile or, yeah. you know, or like. But no, trading places definitely does. I mean, one of the pivotal points in the film is Dan Aykroyd's character is drunken dirty santa claus and he crashes the company party i think a a great christmas more recent great fun christmas movie uh from a few years back was krampus i, I really love... i thought that movie was i saw it when it came out i, love I took krampus. my daughter to it um probably when she was too young and uh and loved it but then at the time, I didn't really. When I watched it, I didn't know who Adam Scott was. Like, there's a lot of people in that movie. Tony Collette, isn't she in it? I or, think Tony Collette's in it. Like, yeah. There's a lot of famous people that at the time I just like, oh yeah, they're actors I sort of recognize. Now they're like these iconic actors who've done such a great body of work that I'm familiar with. So when I watched it again recently, I was like, oh, 
I, this it takes on a whole new level of entertainment watching it now. You know, knowing like, oh, it's Adam Scott, it's Tony Collette. Like these are all. It's, it's now. Have you seen Anna and the Apocalypse? Um, a I'm musical. Tr- oh yeah, zombie with with movie? what's her name? Uh, a musical uh, zombie movie at Christmas shot yeah. in London. Shot is that in Britain. the one with Lupita, or is that another musical zombie movie I'm thinking of? That's something else. That's no. another one. Um, this one is great. Right. It's or great. no, that one's not a musical. It's like a. It's like a. She's trying to like save these kids from zombie, but it has this very sort of Wonka e vibe. But yeah, I know the one. Yeah. You, I don't know. I don't think I've actually oh, ever seen Anna. I love. Love Anna and the Apocalypse. It is so much fun. You know, everybody's turning into zombies at Christmas. There you go. There's a great movie. Well, Violent Night last year was a fun one. I really like that a lot. Uh, and this year we have Silent Night. Yeah. And, well, not Christmas, but holiday theme was Thanksgiving. Eli Ross yeah. Thanksgiving, which I liked a lot. Um, I have not seen the new John Woo movie, uh, Is it, did you, Silent Night. Is, I've heard mixed reviews. I what? love John Woo in his day, but I don't know. If... I wouldn't pay full price to see it. I actually had to pay money to go see that one. Okay. And I would only see it at the senior rate. Okay. Afternoon senior price. Gotcha. So it's and, a matinee price at best. And I thought that was too much. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I'll i tell you the movie that I'm going to go, my brother and I are going this week, uh, but it's not Christmas theme, but it's the sleeper hit of the holiday is the new Godzilla movie, Godzilla Minus oh. One, which is, it's just to make everyone clear, it's not an American uh, Godzilla movie. It's not part of the whole Godzilla, you know, um, uh, King Kong franchise yeah. thing. Like in Japan, unbeknownst to us, they've just continued making great, go- great Godzilla movies. I mean, the last, there was one um, from a few years ago called... Um, Shin Godzilla that was also really good. Um, like all the movies coming out of Japan and the Godzilla are franchise great. are they're great. great, and they're much more like the tone of the original and less kind of big dopey like superhero yeah. franchisey the way that the American ones. Like all the American ones, they always put whoever the you know Brian Cranston was hot, so he's in one. The girl from Stranger Things, she they always just take whoever's hot, throw them with Godzilla, and then out of and it's always two and a half hours. 20 minutes of which is Godzilla footage, and all the rest is just the people talking about saving you go, You yeah. go to a Godzilla movie, you want to see Godzilla. I want to see a giant lizard destroy a city. You can hear it in my lyrics. I like death and destruction. I need yeah. it. And we all know I'm an equal opportunity offender, and I hate everyone. You know what? That's It's true. I can attest to that. Um, <laughs> the movie I'm the most excited about, though, all of next year. What? Furiosa, the new Mad Max, the new George Miller. I saw the trailer, and much like everything by George Miller, much like everything in the Mad Max canon, I was just like, <gasps> I want to see it so I l- much. I love the Mad Max movies. I do. You know, even though I, I questioned, before it came out, I questioned Tom Hardy in the reboot. Yeah, but he was great. You know, because... Mel. Well, sure. But Mel. You, you can't cast Mel in that now. No. Oh. no. I'm not saying he's uncastable because he's working all the time. But A, quite frankly, he's, he's kind of, you know, at this point too old for the role. But also he brings too much baggage to the role at this point. Like, again, I mean, the guy has done an amazing job at, at continuing to work after so many train wreck moments in his career. But the reality is, if you're like me, when you see Mel Gibson, the first thing you think of, unfortunately, is not the road warrior anymore. It's that message he left his wife about getting gang raped. It's all the crazy drunk shit. Like, that guy, to me, unfortunately, because he's a great actor and a great 
director, but he's such a horrible person that I can't... I'm not even saying that I won't watch a Mel Gibson movie. I'm just saying I can't watch one a Mel Gibson movie with and remove you can't who separa- I know who he is. You can't separate the personal baggage right. from the professional which, work. Which maybe in some kind of, you know, like an indie where he's not playing an iconic character, like, okay, whatever, we're watching, some, you know, if it's some action movie and he's the bad guy, okay, I'll, I'll you know, maybe I'm fine with that. Okay, sure. Uh, because I'm not paying, you know, to watch Mel Gibson spew his hate. I'm watching him act. However, Mad Max is such an iconic role. Yeah. I don't want it destroyed by Mel Gibson. You know, who was Mad Max? He's the guy. He's the best Mad Max of all time. However, you put him in it now, even if it's about old Max, the reality is somewhere during that movie I'm going, that fucking asshole. <laughs> that guy is such a piece of Ham's going to be doing a lot Sorry. of bleeping. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, like, when you hear those messages he left, and granted, alcoholism, my mom died from it. Like, it's a horrible disease. But I've been out of control drunk many times. You know what I've never done? Ever screamed racial stuff? Ever threatened to violence or threatened to rape someone? I mean, like, that's just inhuman, terrible stuff. So I'm okay with Tom Hardy, and I'm okay that they also have have spun it off because a lot of my favorite movies, I get annoyed when they spin them away from the lead character. But Charlize was such... Was she so was so great so in that good. role, yeah. and it was such a great role. Meaning the role was one much like the Max role. You're like, I want to see more. See more. How did she lose that arm? I need to know that. So like, I feel like they he did a great job of opening up the world to where like I'd watch any Mad Max movie at this point. Like, and it does not have to be connected to anyone but George Miller. But now let me ask you. After what you've said about Mel, mm-hmm. which, by the way, the indie films he's been doing the past couple of years, some are just yeah. outstanding. Yeah, I mean, he, he still does in- good work. Including his latest, Desperation Road. I'm sure. He does he's good work. excellent in it. Um, but... But you got to keep him away from Mad Max. <laughs> but will you go see Lethal Weapon 5? Oh, oh for sure I will. For sure, I, and I, I'm stoked. Look, I'm an '80s kid. I'll go see *Lethal Weapon* five, and I'll go and I'll I'm gonna see the new *Beverly Hills Cop* in a heartbeat. You know, yeah, I, I'm... I, I mean, they might both suck, but like I'm down. I'd like to see it work, and also I'd like to say, in a weird way, that character. I mean, the was it Mur- Murtaugh? Is that the name of the? Well, Roger Murtaugh is played by Danny Glover. Yeah, and then what's Martin the... Riggs is Mel Martin Gibson. Riggs. Now. Let's think about the Martin Riggs character. What do we know about him? He's crazy. Yeah. He's prone to violence and, you know, saying insane stuff. Right. So that character isn't really ruined to me by Mel Gibson doing it because you got a crazy guy, crazy jerk playing a crazy jerk, a crazy jerk prone to violence playing a crazy. And like that character, I go like, all right, that I'll buy Mel Gibson. And I don't feel like even if it pulls me away, it's still pulling me in the direction of the character he's playing. Whereas the Mad Max thing, I just feel like, no, man, it's like it's a priceless character. You can't tarnish it with with your personality. Yeah. No, but no, I'm I'm anxious to see that because Mel is supposed to direct it. And he and Danny are both going to be back. I'm assuming Rene Russo will come back for it. But we'll find I'm out. Down. I mean, I, listen, I, I I like those movies. I grew up on those movies. And like I said, I, I don't, um, I think that Mel is a talented, talented guy. But I just think we've all seen, you know, I mean, look, again, I don't want to get all political. He's a Holocaust denier. So do we even need to continue the conversation yeah. about what kind of man he is? You know what I mean? Like, talented guy, but he's a talented Holocaust denier. Mm-hmm. So, bye-bye. 
<laughs> so now you mentioned that you and your I don't wa- listen to Kanye either. <laughs> I never listen to Kanye. Um, you mentioned you and your wife are going to be watching some Christmas movies. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna watch the first one we have on our list is the new Eddie Murphy one on I think it's on Candy Amazon. Cane Lane. Candy Cane it's Lane. on Amazon. It's on Prime Video. It is wonderful. Yeah, wonderful, we're wonderful. I love. I mean, I'm an Eddie Murphy diehard fan. Don't get me wrong. He does a lot of movies that are you know kind of for kids and yeah. stuff that maybe isn't for me. This, but he's the best. Is so good. I mean, I interviewed Reggie Hudland uh, last week. Uh, we played my exclusive with Reggie on the show. It's also up on the website. Um, I interviewed Kelly Younger, the writer, and his idea for Candy Cane Lane actually came from growing up on Candy Cane Lane in El Segundo. Oh, wow, that's funny. And then Aaron Osborne, what he does with production design on this, it is fantastical. It is wonderful. I love Candy Cane Lane. I, 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 you know, I like Christmas movies, and I'm just a, a big time Eddie guy. The first comedy concert I ever saw when I was a kid is my parents took me to see Eddie Murphy Delirious tour. Oh my gosh! The second comedy concert I ever saw as a kid was Eddie Murphy Raw, Raw. tour, <laughs> and um, so I, you know, to me, when I was a kid, <clears throat> I. Like, Elvis never appealed to me. I still don't like Elvis. No. Um, but to me, the way that people thought of and and held Elvis in that kind of reverence where he wasn't just a singer, he wasn't just a celebrity, he was sort of like, like him and Sinatra were sort of like above it all. That, to me, was how Eddie Murphy was. Because when I first saw Eddie Murphy, you know, he was, well, he was already on Saturday Night Live, and he was, you know, 48 hours trading places some of the most incredible iconic comedies of all time but when i saw him do the delirious and raw he was in a leather outfit the red leather yeah like elvis the red leather with black trim right and so when i was a kid eddie murphy was the biggest rock star i could think of the funniest guy the charmingest guy like you know Eddie Murphy to me was kind of like everything he also made albums and they didn't suck Uh, his comedy albums were amazing you know like the guy just to me in his day was as good as an entertainer entertainer in America was he was probably the best so uh, when I grew up and I still don't care about Elvis, but to me, Eddie Murphy was my Elvis. So I, so I love the fact that he's been kind of making a comeback and embracing his edgier side. Doing some, for a long time, he didn't do edgy comedy anymore, and he was never doing that yeah. sort of street hustler role that he ca- came up with. But you know, lately he's been making sequels to some of his movies. He did the Dolomite movie, which was amazing. That was great. And was just you know really Eddie being Eddie, but Eddie being you know Rudy Ray Moore, um, even. This movie, which I know is going to be kind of a kid's Christmas movie, just kind of knowing that Eddie's been sort of re-embracing his comic side yeah. kind of goes like, yeah, I know it's good. I mean, you're going to like I'm it. I'm going to like it. I know. You're going to like it. Are the there, Are there any classic Christmas movies? I'm talking vintage, like It's a Wonderful Life, The Bishop's Wife, White Christmas. No. Holiday Affair. No, there's none of those. That that I mean I've seen most of those, but th- those didn't really connect as much with me when I was a kid. So I don't. Cons- I mean I'm just saying they're not a priority in my Christmas viewing. To me, the two that I I really like to watch that are it, I shouldn't say they're that old school, but I mean 
every morning we watch the Charlie Ma- the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Obviously. Yeah, so that one I have on uh, DVD and all. I've got an old VHS. I got every format of that. So do um, I. Yeah, so because that's a priority. And my, my da- and daughter's Rudolph. around. Yeah, Rudolph. I love all those old claymation ones. Those are The Rankin Bass. Yes. And, and Dr. Seuss Grinch. Uh, I also think Christmas Story is a, you know, I, that, that was sort of my classic growing up in the 80s, meaning it's not, wasn't a classic, but it came out when I was a kid and I saw it and we would watch that every year. And uh, some of that movie doesn't age quite as well, but most of it, it, it works. I feel like that's a pretty solid See, classic. I've never been a big fan of Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. Me, I still remember in the 60s. Um, when my mother, before she decided to do nothing um, <laughs> in the house, <laughs> and she would, and she was decorating our rec room and trying to hang tinsel from yeah. corners of the ceiling and yelling at four of us um, or three of us. Well, yelling at family—that's a Christmas tradition. I, I know, tradition, and really. it was. But White Christmas was on on TV. Mm. I'm a big White Christmas fan, more so than Holiday Inn. I love White Christmas. Always will. Um, that's one of my favorite. But then I like the more obscure ones like Holiday Affair mm-hmm. with Janet Lee. Um, it's so charming. And, oh, Christmas in Connecticut is a big one with Barbara Stanwyck. Okay. Now, that was remade as a telemovie a few years ago with Arnold. With Arnold? And wow. it's funny. Really? It's funny. People don't, they really don't get how funny Arnold Schwarzenegger can sure. be. You think kindergarten cop and of course jingle all, jingle all the way. Yeah, twins too. I mean, twins. Incredible. He is very good with comedy. Mm-hmm. And even in his new series that we just had season 1 and and it's been picked yeah, up for Fubar. season 2, Fubar. Yep. Which is wonderful. But there so let's see we're already running late of of course. <laughs> you know. I don't like it when the phones weren't working properly. You know, it was I couldn't run late. Now we can run late because you have another. I know he's eyeing the, the beef I'm, jerky. I know. I'm just going. Uh, yeah, that beef jerky is looking real good. This one I'm gonna <clears throat> do. Is um, this your bottle slide one you're yeah, gonna, I'm do? gonna do? So I'm gonna take two seconds to tune up, but it will only take two seconds, and I'll explain why too. But hold on. Frank likes to explain, and I'm glad he explains. I always learn something when I listen to Frank. I'm not saying if I learned something good or something bad. So, in order uh, to play uh, slide guitar, you sometimes tune in what they call an open tuning. So, essentially, the whole guitar is tuned to an open E chord. And then sometimes you'll see someone put like a capo on, and that's so they could maybe take that open tuning. And if you slapped it on the third fret, you'd be in G or A if you moved it up to the fifth fret, whatever. Uh, but. A lot of guys can play slide without doing that tuning. I'm just not one of them. Um, okay. But I did learn, I think I told you this story the other day, and I won't tell, retell it right now, but I learned how to play slide guitar from this guy named JJ, who was the guitar player of Chucky Weiss and the Goddamn Liars. Yes, Chucky you told Weiss me that. was, um, you know, from Chucky's in Love by Ricky Lee Jones. Yeah. And uh, so this guy taught me how to play slide, and that's what I'm going to do for you right now. Now, are we in tune? Let's see. Close enough. That'll do it. So, uh, we were talking about Christmas movies. Yeah. Unlikely Christmas movies. And I mentioned the movie Trancers. Oh, my God. He wrote a song, including Trancers. The star of Trancers is actor Tim Thomerson. 
uh, but the character he plays is Jack Death, and Jack Death <laughs> is a future cop who goes back into the 80s to hunt this killer who's turning people into trancers, which essentially are sort of like zombies under his control. And so Jack Death, Tim Thomerson, teams up with Helen Hunt, and they go looking for this character, Martin Whistler, to go stop him. It's a great movie, and it all takes place during Christmas. It's directed by Charles Band, the great B-movie icon, uh, Charles Band. And this one, the original, was for his his studio, Empire International Pictures, mm-hmm. who was one of my favorite studios ever. But then, of course, he went and formed Full Moon Pictures, Puppet Master, and those franchises. And then they made a bunch of transfer sequels over at Full Moon, none of which are quite as good as the original, but all real fun. But this song is called Jack Death, and it's based on the character, you know, from the franchise, but this one's really focused on that first movie. See how this goes. This is also one, uh, I've never played this on slide before, but it just occurred to me that it would sound cool, so let's see what happens. You can be the judge as to whether I'm right or not. Okay, so pay attention, Pam. Well, there's trancers that dance with the devil, you know With black hollow eyes like vampires below They'll take you down the line and swallow your soul Take your last breath Jack Death Cigarettes and heartbreak like grease in my hair Blood stains on trench coats and cold dagger stairs. Time warps and mind warps and assassins despair. Don't second guess. Jack Death. Take your last breath. Jack Death. Well, he's a hot-blooded, cold-hearted killer through time. A 20th century menace in 1985. Shopping malls and chopping malls and henchmen for high, but it's the girl that sets his heart on fire. All right. You can take your hand solos, Rick Deckard and Dr. Jones. I just need me some Tim Thomerson and a bottle of Patron. Cause I drink like a tornado and baby then I'm gone so raise your glass. Jack Death. With bated breath. Jack Death. Cause he's the best. Jack Death! Jack Death! Jack Death! Jack Death! (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I love the bottle slide. Yeah, the bottle slide. Actually, this is, it actually is the top of a bottle. 
had this uh, made, had a bottle cut and made, and then make sure smoothed out so uh, yeah. cut my fingers every time I play, which, as you know, that's another part of my act is getting cut up and bleeding. So that wouldn't be a problem, but you don't want to bleed around the fingers. It's the one area it's, that doesn't yeah. quite work for the showmanship yeah. part of it because then you can't play. But now, while you're perusing for Christmas movie, for mm-hmm. holiday movies, uh, mm-hmm. this week, next week, yeah. while you're on Prime Video watching Candy Cane Lane, Mm-hmm. Also, look for holiday twist. Neil McDonough. You okay. know who yep. Neil McDonough yep. is. Yep. Did you know that Neil McDonough started his acting career in comedy? I did not know that. He used to do sitcoms, Murphy Browns, tons oh, okay. when he started acting. It was in comedy. And then he became the villain. The villain, uh, uh, an imposing military character. Still one of my favorite villains on Yellowstone, everybody. You know I had to get a Yellowstone comment in for the end of the year, uh, playing Malcolm Beck uh, with a great death scene at the hands of of John Dutton. Mm. Uh, but he ha- is in his very first Christmas movie of his career, Okay. Holiday Twist. Okay. It's, he's a bumbling criminal. Oh, I was hoping it was a tornado movie. No, no. It's a Christmas movie. Okay. Uh, first time, uh, you know, writer-director Stephanie Garvin. It is so much fun. It's got Christmas mes- messaging, and anybody that knows anything about Neil McDonough, you know his. he is very, very um, open about talking about his faith and his practices and how that has affected his work over the years and what he takes, what he doesn't take, how he approaches things. And he started his own production company now. Mm. And he's wants to do more comedy. He wants to start bringing that back into his performances and the roles he takes. And with his own company, he can do that. But Holiday Twist, it's a lot of fun. Okay. It's very sweet. I'll check it out. Uh, and also, and I think it's also Prime, how the Gringo Saved Christmas. How the Gringo Saved Christmas. All right. With Emily Tosta, Jack Kilmer, son of Val, okay. uh, George Lopez, and this lovely Hispanic Latina girl. Her boyfriend is a gringo, <laughs> and she brings him home to meet the family, and they never knew this wow. until he shows up. I like it. So, and you've got George Lopez, who is a master yeah, of comedy. Great. Yeah, he's great. So that's another fun one that's new. Okay. That are non-Hallmark movies. Right, right, right. Because you're not looking for Hallmark movies. Not me, but someone might be, but not me. Your no. wife might be. She might be, yeah. You I'm, know. Uh, I'm obviously a weirder, darker type of personality than that. But I, I would recommend, there's a great movie called Rare Exports that's sort of a... I wouldn't really call it a horror movie, but it's 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 horror esque. It's sort of horror light, um, and it's not British. I, I think it might be Finnish, um, but it's it's a definitely a Christmas movie. The title sounds familiar. It's I really, can't really, place really good. it. Uh, it's it's really really good. Um, so I would recommend that one if you like kind of a one an edgy sort of horror comedy, but it's not too like over the top horror. But it's very fun. And of course, two great anthology Christmas anthology. I even wrote it down so I wouldn't forget them. Holiday Hell. Uh, it's an anthology. Joel Murray is in it. Okay. He plays he a Santa character. And then the Christmas Tapes Anthology, which is really cool. 
with Vernon Wells as oh, Santa. Speaking of Road Warrior, um, Vernon Wells Road Warrior. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a. There's. Do you, have you ever seen the '70s horror movie Christmas Evil? No. A lot, it's one of those. Th- everyone's sort of seen the box cover, but not a lot of folks have seen the movie. Um, I've seen the movie, and let me tell you. And let me tell you. Uh oh. Uh oh. It's not a. It's not a great horror movie, but it has maybe the all-time best ending to a Christmas horror movie. Ever. Well, don't give it away. I'm not going to give it away, although I want to because the movie's so old. No. I'm like, but I'm, but I'm telling you this: that movie, it's like a pretty good, you know, dated, older kind of, you know, Christmas themed horror movie. And then there's this sort of build up for kind of a, you know, a, a, a ruckus, a confrontation at the end, and then they just sort of put a twist on the whole thing, and the twist is literally. It is one of the most unbelievable, insane, put it this way, the only thing I could compare it to, again, I'm not going to reveal anything, but if you've ever seen a movie, this is for my horror OGs, if you've Uh ever seen a movie called Sleepaway Camp. Yes. The original, sorry, the original (laughs) Sleepaway Camp, I played like three gigs last week, you know, my voice is a little shy. Um, The original Sleepaway Camp has an unbelievable, shocking ending that, again, I don't want to reveal it, but it tore, it turns the whole movie up on its ear and turns everything you thought is not what you thought in that movie. And it literally is one shot at the end where you go, no way. So Christmas Evil has a moment like that at the end where the entire movie flips on on its side. You go, no way did they just do that. And then the movie ends. It's bat as crazy. Okay. All right. Worth it just for that. All right. I may have to watch that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a shocker ending. I love it. Well, I like shocker endings. I, I'm telling you, you're going to come back to me and go, "Whoa, that movie." And again, you're not going to go, "That was the greatest movie I ever saw." You're going to go, "That was the greatest ending to a holiday horror movie I've ever seen." It's the best. Okay. Well, with Frank's recommendation, that that now is a must see. Yeah, yeah. I would I mean, I also think I I bet you anything Eli Roth uh, would cite that as you know, kind of a Thanksgiving um, influence of his because it is a good, fun horror holiday movie, but it's schlocky and it's B. But then that ending, hoofa. But you know, schlocky is fun. Oh, for me, I, I, I schlocky, campy. I don't even watch regular movies anymore. I only like schlocky movies. Yeah, the thing is, you know, when so pe- people try and get so erudite talking about the message of a film and. You know, well, what do you want the audience to take away from this? I have never asked any any filmmaker or actor, what do you want the audience to take away from this film? Uh, everybody's going to take away what they want to take away. And plus, the answer is and should be the same, which is, I want them to be entertained. That's and, and that is my point. Right. You see, you knew, you know my philosophy on yeah. that. And a sad movie can be entertained. I mean, of course, yeah. a sad movie is entertaining. A dramatic, dramatic movie. Entertaining doesn't always mean bring a smile to your face. Yeah. Br- entertaining means that when you're watching that ninety-minute piece of art, you forget about the rest of the world, and you're just enjoying being in that moment and letting that storyteller be it, into your their world. Something, uh, you know, as profound as Schindler's List. Yep. Or, or Toxic Avenger. Or Toxic it, Avenger. It, 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 there's, I mean, I say this all the time about music. There's, there's room for Frank Zappa, right next to Kiss. 
Like you meaning Kiss writes dumbbell sex and you know three chord kind of you know la da da up uh, yeah. lick it up just like kind of football anthems. Like yeah. it's not smart man's music, but it's incredibly mm-hmm. great and it serves its purpose. That's why you can also have a Frank Zappa or a Emerson Lake and Palmer or any of this sort of more complicated. And by the way, Frank Zappa wrote a lot of fun, dumb songs, too, on purpose. But, you know, meaning you can have the smart stuff and you can have the dumb stuff. And you can also, as an audience member, enjoy both and not feel weird about it. And you can enjoy. It's all entertainment. You can enjoy Barry Manilow, which, by the way, find, find, if you did not see the Barry Manilow Christmas special on NBC last week, last Monday night. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal show. It's his Christmas show that he does at the Westgate, but it's compacted for uh, the television special where he mixes Christmas songs with his hits. And which, by the way, you mentioned Elvis earlier. Do you know that Barry Manilow took away the record from Elvis for the most single performances ever in Vegas by an artist? I bet Elvis was pissed. I bet he was. You know, uh, something I just learned, actually, is um, Pee Wee Herman's, uh, or the estate of Pee Wee Herman's, the official Pee Wee Herman YouTube channel, just, I think, yesterday posted a restored, uh, his 1988 Pee Wee's Playhouse Playhouse. Christmas special, which which wasn't a regular episode and I don't think is included, like, in the box set, because it was, like, an hour-long episode. Um, I think it's remained unreleased all these years besides pirated copies, but they cleaned it up, restored it, and launched it this week, which that's, I've got wow. that on my list to watch because I'm a big Pee-wee fan. And for something really fun and insane to watch, it is, um, it's either Make the Holiday Gay, Have, have, a, have a Gay Holiday, um, the Paul Lynn Christmas special. It is a spoof, <laughs> a spoof. On the 1970s variety shows. Oh, that's cool. Paul Lynn, Michael, um, is it Michael Ake? What? When was Aikman? this it, This is brand new. Oh. This is brand new. And Paul Lynn's in it? No. Oh, I was going to say, it's what? A, no, it's a whole spoof. What? Michael Aikman, uh, Ericman, Aikman, I can't remember Michael's last name. I'm interviewing him tomorrow morning at 8, at eight o'clock. Um, but he plays Paul Lynn. And he is spot on. Wow, that's cool. Uh, it's Bunny Lake is you know some drag queens are in Mm -hmm. it, very well known ones. It is hilarious. Paul Lynn is in the. um, There's a great special. It's the Brady Bunch. What? No, I'm trying to think. He's in two. There's one that's the Brady Bunch and the Croft Superstars did like. Oh, it's there's a Brady Bunch special at the Hollywood Bowl, but the. Sid and Marty Croft produce it, so a bunch of the Croft people are in it. Show I, up. I'm pretty sure that Paul Lynn makes an appearance. But there's also a, I think it's a, it's a Paul Lynn and Sid and Marty Croft Halloween special that Kiss is on. So meaning there, if you go to YouTube and look up Paul Lynn and Kiss, there's a Paul Lynn and Kiss, you know, TV special, and it's quite good. Oh my God! I'm a big Kiss guy. So I am trying to just find. The actual name, the correct name of this, because it's just, and why, why, I have no, we have no anything. Um, Let's see. I'm trying to find this, because it's also, it's written by Bruce Valanche, who I'm interviewing on Wednesday. Wow. And he is so funny, and okay, the internet is not working. The iconic Bruce Valanche. Yes. Okay, internet is not working. And 
I don't even have one bar on my AT&T, on my Verizon 5G. So, not happy about that. <laughs> I can't double check it. Oh, my God. We'll, we'll, we'll all look up Paul in and figure it out on YouTube. Or just look up Bruce Valanche on IMDb, and it'll be one of the newest things. He's such a gifted writer, but... This is so hilarious. I laughed from beginning to end. Nice. It's wonderful. Well, unfortunately, I think we have to call it quits. Ugh. I know. I know. Dagnabbit. So we covered Christmas, took care of music, took care of horror, took care of happy holiday films. Oh, and now I can eat my beef jerky. Now you can eat it. Took care of you. Do know that these Dick Clark singles, these are all from the 1950s. Yeah, I, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I know that. I don't know if the yeah. audience knows no, that. They're they're from the 1950s. I could spot that a mile away. I know you. Yeah, especially with the actual red acetate. Yeah. Um. Cool. So, but I just I thought it was cool to bring them out, especially since this is also the last show of 2023. Yeah, it's um, I'm a little emotional. Well, it's also the last show of nine years. Well, then is... we're just gonna have to jump into year ten with, uh, you know, oh. with our boots on, with our with our dancing shoes on, and our well, costumes and our moxie and our enthusiasm. Well, you're here now because you're gonna be heading to Spain. Yeah, that's true. I'm going. Uh, I start, well, I leave on January 5th, but our tour starts on January 11th. I have a band that's based out of Europe called Trading Aces that's like a, kind of a, we call it sleaze metal. It's sort of like Guns N' Roses-y, <laughs> you know, Aerosmith-y, sleazy rock. Uh, so Trading Aces, we have a record out called Rock and Roll Homicide that we're now doing our second tour to support. And then um, I also play in a band called The Streetwalk and Cheetahs, who's also going to Europe in March. Uh, to support a new single and a new EP that we have. And then um, I do solo stuff and you know acoustic yeah. and blah, blah, blah. I have a lot of different music and bands and things I do. But you can follow me on Instagram at TheFrankMeyer, and that's M-E-Y-E-R, or you can just look me up on uh, Facebook, TheFrankMeyer. And uh, yeah, and you'll see. I and I also directed a movie recently called Freestyle 101 Hip Hop History. That's last time I was on, we were talking about yep, that. on Halloween. I kind of split my career between being a filmmaker and a musician. So in the filmmaker world, I tend to do a lot of work in documentary stuff. I direct a lot of music videos. Um, you were talking about that gay Christmas special. I directed the new music video for Gay CDC, the all-gay ACDC oh, cover wow. band. Uh, just Saturday, we did that in Long Beach. And we had um, incredible guest appearances from Doug Pinnock of King's X and John Bush from Anthrax Armored Saint and Johnny Martin from L.A. Guns. And we shot a really outrageous video uh, for their version of Highway to Hell, which is fun. And, you know, they they okay. do their, they put their spin on it. And, um, yeah, so I kind of go do the film thing and I do the music thing. And just my whole life is trying to sort of balance these two. So, you know, when I'm when I when I wrap a film, I book a tour. And then when I come back from the tour, I go jump into another project. And then when that project wraps, I go uh, go to Europe again and go tour and play and blah, blah, blah. There's nothing more fun than, you know, singing songs and grabbing a camera and making movies. That's you know? it. That's that's about that's about all of it. I, I realize that when I was 12. That's what I, I like. I realize I, I think this is called determination, but it also might just be called immaturity, which is <laughs> when I was 12, 
I play guitar. I was listening to Motley Crue and Van Halen writing, you know, uh, dopey heavy metal songs and stuff and trying to find my voice. And I had a little uh, Super 8 film camera, and I would run around and shoot little movies. And now I'm 52 years old, and I run around playing hard rock, heavy metal, punk rock music, and I grab a camera yeah. and I make movies. I just I figured out somehow to get paid okay doing it. That. I think that's the difference. Well, and since you can't join me on the start of year 10 on January the 8th, right. do you know who my live guest is that day? I, I mean, uh, it could be anyone in the world. I don't know. I mean, how, how could it I? is Oscar winner Tom Schulman. Won the Oscar for Dead Poets Society. Wow. He has a new film, and he's directing it as well. Really? Interesting. So, I'll, I'll allow it. I you'll mean, allow that? Yeah, I mean, I'll. It, I, I, now that you've run my replacement by me, you, okay. ha, you have my approval. And I don't know if you were seeking it, but you have it. I, I was seeking it. Yeah, I gotcha, was seeking gotcha. it, Frank. Uh, well, put it this way. If you hadn't said Oscar winner, I would have had this guy tossed. But okay. you said Oscar the, winner, and that works for me, because I feel like that puts him at the level that I'm at. Okay. You know, Not that I'm an Oscar winner, but, but I've done uh, some... Pretty incredible things. Yes. <laughs> so since you can't be be with me to kick off year 10, Tom Schulman will. Okay. Do you want me to pre-screen him? Like you want to get him on the horn with me for a pre-interview just to make <laughs> sure that he's worthy of you? Because I've been on the show three times now. I feel like I know the tone here. So I could get on with him and kind of walk him through it. And then if I feel like he's not really <laughs> up to the task or up to my level of entertainment, if I consider myself a, a, a you know, a, a, let's let's just say a 10 out of 10 on your on your show, then I got to make sure he's at least in a 7-8 bracket because, like, I'm, you know what I mean? You can't have now, – now that I've set the, the bar, Bar. You oh. can't have any of this riffraff come in and do non-stellar Trust me, content. Frank, you have set a bar that nobody is ever going to come close See? to. So take that, Oscar winner. That's right. <laughs> you have set the bar. So, unfortunately, we must bid adieu to 2023 and a year nine of Behind Lines. I can't believe I survived nine yeah. years already um, doing this show. And I'll be back. Frank will be joining us in between tours next year. Sure, sure. Of course he will. He has to regale us with how many times he threw up on stage in Spain. Yep. Um, so. You can count on. That's the Frank Meyer promise. So, for 2023 and year nine, that's a wrap. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Frank Meyer. And this is Behind the Lens.